0: Hey everybody, Ruark here. Just want to welcome you to the second episode of the Guyman Watch Party podcast. Uh, yeah, we're like I said in the last episode; these these first six episodes of the Guyman podcast originally aired on the Wheel of Time podcast. So if you hear some Wheel of Time references, that explains that. If don't don't get too confused about that. And uh, we realized that last episode, we forgot to introduce myself and Saima, my co-host. So Saima, why don't you go ahead and uh, let us know a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you. Uh, so I'm Saima, pronouns she, her, and I am based in Kendal, the northwest of England. Um, I am happy to not be the only Brit on the panel. Uh, yay, Axel. And uh, yeah, we love <laughs> well, Wheel of time, love gaming. I was introduced to both properties um, in, when I was 16 years old. It's been uh, most of my adult life and I'm thrilled to be on a podcast exploring both those worlds. So thank you, Ruark.
0: Thank you. And uh, me, I didn't introduce myself yet. So hi, I'm Ruark, uh, non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. And uh, I am a huge Wheel of Time fan, uh, which is why I started the the Watch Party Wheel of Time podcast. And, and then uh, we found out that all of us, Well, many of us have have connections to Sandman, so we decided to put together the Sandman podcast. And uh, here we are. So uh, joining me again, we've got Greg, Siobhan, David, and Samaria. Okay, so this was the Lucifer episode, which, uh, yeah, we all know how I feel about Lucifer.
1: Let's call it the bucket episode.
0: Yeah we, yeah, we discover that I we think, need a mop and a bucket of quite often. Bucket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: That's true, Siobhan. It's one of. Wasn't it every, actually every episode?
2: Yeah, yeah pretty desire much. Desire comes
0: later. There, there are way too many pretty people in this show. Way too many pretty people.
3: Yeah, you, you, you can't really top sploosh. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: yeah, can't really top spoosh. Okay, well, with that, I guess we'll get right into the episode. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Watch Party, Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Saima.
0: And I'm your host, Ruark.
1: And hi, panel. Hey, Hey, panel. panel. (laughs) Slightly better than last time, yes. So today we have joining us David. Fly good. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. DW.
4: F me, clear it.
1: And Samaria.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Roll tide, everybody. What the hell was that, DW? (laughs) It is
4: is a clean version of my favorite quote from the Robin Hood movie with, with, uh, oh, the Kevin Costner. No, it's when when Christian Slater uh, pulls back on the the, uh, catapult and launches the two of them over the wall, and he turns and goes, F me, clear it. And it's the pitch and everything is one of my favorite aspects of uh, quotes.
5: The only thing I remember about that movie is the body double that played uh, Kevin Cosner's backside <laughs> <laughs> in the swimming scene.
4: Vaughn knows that body double. Into <laughs> it was it was noticed.
1: So we're continuing um, our discussion of the Sandman series that was that was on Netflix in August. Gosh, it feels like such a long time ago. Um, so we got through. Did we get through? I'm kind of thinking that we we got to the third episode. Yeah, we were we, we were somewhere
0: in we we kind of were jumping all over the place, but yeah, we were we were in there somewhere.
1: And I just wanted to say before we kind of take off with the third episode, David, you went with us last time. Do you have any burning things to share about the first couple of episodes? Specifically, um, the Burgess
2: storyline. No, not really. I enjoyed the second and third episode more than the first, I think, just because it was really intro stuff. Um, I should note that I have no connection to the comic at all. So all of these characters and things are new to me with the show. So not much to say about the first episode um but the second and third episode were great i loved 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 the constantine storyline
1: oh great so that's the one that we're going and to start that. off with now yeah. yeah so why do you continue then that you you love that storyline <laughs> before i get into the geeky um, geeky issues
2: <laughs> so i'm uh, i'm not a dc person so constantine's kind of um something i know about but haven't been a fan of or read anything comic wise but her character is just awesome and so i knew constantine was coming as soon as i heard that name and i'm like okay it's uh we're gonna be the fighting the devil and 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 she's kind of this uh priest but i don't know what to expect and then just the the way she carries herself the kind of brooding sense i love that style of character and It was played so very well.
1: Yeah. So I think I said in the last episode that there were a a couple of characters that didn't kind of land right with me the first time around. Um, On my second watch, I warmed up to Joanna. And I think for me, when I watched it the first time around, it felt this episode felt the most kind of like jarring because it felt too real world almost from the fantastical elements that had come before. Mm, yeah. So as soon as she showed up, first of all it was it's it was it's Jenna Coleman. Like I was immediately kind of seeing her. You know like Roach you were saying about um, the voice of Matthew, Patton Oswald, kind of takes you out sometimes. So when I saw her being very British, it kind of was like, oh it kind of felt like, oh I'm I'm kind of out of Sandman for 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 just a moment. Um and I did find her irritating, but then on the rewatch, I think because I'd, I, w- I was kind of re into the whole thing. I, f- I found it. She was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I know on the, it was meant to be John Constantine, but there was a right yes. issue as far as I understand.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: But I, I think it worked out really well because then we see the two versions of her, right? So we see her ancestor, Joanna later with Hobgadling. And then we see her again as, you know, modern day version. So like I didn't really have a preference over having John or Joanna, but the fact that they kind of connected her like that, uh, by you know having the same actor play play her, I thought was a really neat
4: thing. I, just, I, I actually had an, uh, a rough time with that, partially because as a Doctor Who fan and not a big fan of her character, I didn't necessarily like how they kept putting her as all the versions of her, you know, without any explanation. That one, and then they had to make an explanation of her falling in the timeline. And with this one, because, again, we look like our ancestors, but we don't look amazingly like our ancestors. So it's I'm not a huge fan of having the same actor always play an ancestor. And having seen her done it before, I think kind of darkened me the idea. But um, I, I, it didn't pull me out of it. It didn't ruin anything for me. It just was not one of my favorite aspects. I well,
1: we did not think about that perspective. But because it's a fantasy show and we obviously see Dream being the same, that you might think this other character is the same character. That's interesting. I did.
0: Yeah, I, I was having that issue oh. also. And and I kind of followed you, DW, on that. Uh, my my previous knowledge of her was from Doctor Who, and I didn't particularly care for her character on Doctor Who. And everything I've seen her in since, it seems like she's playing that same character. She's, she's, I had much
2: and, the same reaction. Yeah,
0: and, and so it really kind of pulled me out. And, you know, add to that that I am a... Ginormous John Constantine fan, and I understand the rights issue, but still, as long as Matt Ryan is living and breathing, you figure out how to get around those rights issues and, and get him in your show because that man is John Constantine. I'm sorry.
4: I agree. I the, the, what they did with him in that role was phenomenal. I 100 agree, and I, again. I just I don't don't know it was something that needed to be the same actress. I think they could have found somebody that looked similar to play her ancestor, and it would have been because you also wouldn't have had an automatic. Oh, that's her. It might have been a moment of like when you hear the name, you're like, oh, that's the ancestor. It might have been a different take. But I I understand that trope gets used often. They're not the first ones to do it. I can't fault that show for deciding to do it. Um, I just it's not one of my favorite tropes.
2: Yeah, especially where that episode is so centered around um, immortality. You kind of add this other character and it's like, oh, now we have another immortal character here.
1: Samari, were you going to say the same thing?
3: I, yeah, I did actually. And so it took me a couple episodes to figure out that they were two separate characters. So one was the ancestor of the other because we are introduced to Joanna Constantine the first in that storyline with Rob and Dream over centuries and so I was like oh there's there's something I don't know so when Dream in present day is meeting Johanna Constantine the second he talks to her kind of like he knows her which I guess he does he's Dream he's the Sandman he knows everybody on the planet but I was like oh there's a thread here that she doesn't know about yet And I was like oh okay so is there an amnesia element? Is, are they playing games? And then it's, and Then I was like, oh, okay. And
2: two different I have people. to admit that but I'm I kind, of, that. <laughs> kind of lucky because when the Constantine episode came up, because I'm not a fan of DC and haven't read anything and don't really know anything about the character, I went and looked up the wiki page. And so I knew about Joanna as a ancestor and that she was part of the comic universe. So when that came up in the later episode, it didn't confuse me. It's like, oh, okay, that's her ancestor. They they threw that in there for the comic nerds. Cool. Great. Move on.
4: But just to throw an idea out there, they could have either put her in some sort of slightly altering makeup or had her perform a different aspect of that character. Or even just changed her name. Both Joannas were also very similar character-wise. It it just didn't feel. Different Actually, yeah,
1: name change would have been something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You both need to be called Joanna.
0: <laughs> well, in my mind, the fact of who they cast also added to the confusion because, you know, this is a character from Doctor Who, so you're already, like, feeling like, you know, they, they could travel through time or they could be immortal or they could whatever, blah, 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 because you're t- used t- to seeing t- t- somebody. Them, stuff it, is going yeah, on. you're used to seeing her with wobbly, timey-wimey, whatever. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, there we go. <laughs> He's not my favorite doctor, so I don't remember the quote, okay? Um,
1: <laughs> we'll let you off.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Matt Smith is the best doctor ever. And that's just, I, I will admit 100% that is because he reminds me of my grandmother. But that's I thats see. good enough for me. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually kind of uh glad that I wasn't the only one that had this issue because I I don't know why the way it was presented to me was oh this is you know this is Jenna Coleman she's playing you know Joanna Constantine and because it's her that's why she's also playing her own ancestor right because they've got her and, and she's who she is and I was just a bit like oh I don't know because I um don't hate me everybody and the fandom I've actually never really got into Doctor Who like I I, I just love it because I feel like I've grown up in it but I've never really, I've watched a few every, you know, every so often, but, um, but, but yeah, I just kind of felt like it was a, it was a big deal and I should really like her and this episode and that I didn't, I was just a bit like, oh, okay, maybe I just have some kind of resistance to it for some reason, but yeah, so glad to hear the reactions.
0: I, I feel like that's the same reaction I have to something like Stargate. It's like I know of the existence of Stargate. I've watched a few episodes here and there. I know enough of it to know that Tilk is the Wookie, but <laughs> I'm, I am not a, a fan of Stargate on any level. Nor have I ever watched any two episodes in a row. That's you know. So yeah, I get it. I get it. It's, it's something yeah, you're aware Stargate. of, but not something that that's important to you.
1: Yeah, and when you're you know when you're really stuffed uh, around on Christmas. And you just don't care what's on television. You end up kind of absor- absorbing it, you know. It's just it's in the air, and you just kind of always know what's going on. But I have to say, I I did love Christopher Eccleston. I, I did watch those. I, I, yeah, I'm a fan. So I'm not saying I'm not saying who's my favorite Doctor. I don't know.
0: <laughs> anyway, enough of Doctor Who chat. <laughs>
1: so the other thing I wanted to bring up was I really. Like this, I liked it the first time around, but I was still not completely immersed in it. The second time around, I really loved how you don't really get this in the comics the same way, right? So, Gaiman's really pulled out this thread well, this very deep kind of core of trauma. And for me, it really came out in this episode like Dream's trauma of imprisonment really comes through in his interactions with Joanna and her trauma experience, right? And it's this really unsentimental, you know like they're not trying to comfort each other they don't really care about those kind of elements and yet they have this really deep moment of just witnessing each other like seeing like she's able to really connect quickly that he was the devil in Burgess's basement right and just I really love the look on her face of just that acknowledgement with, with with no pity right it was just like oh okay like that was awful And then the way that he references this reoccurring nightmare that she has and how he can take it away, right? And it's just not, they don't go into it. And I really appreciate when trauma is handled like that because that feels real to me, right? That's the way you want to be seen and witnessed without having to go into kind of the detail or be pitied in turn. So I thought that was a really beautiful moment between them.
0: Well, that was entirely too serious for this podcast. <laughs>
4: I was just gonna say um, any other thoughts. On that? No. I, well, I think it took us all to kind of a deep rooted like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. mission oh,
0: accomplished. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> You're just trying to, to knock us off of our Doctor Who chat, aren't you?
1: <laughs> Look, this is really this important Next stuff
5: week here. On the okay? Who podcast. <laughs> I've been trying very hard not to get into Constantine chat because
0: (laughs) Constantine is part of the Sandman universe so that that's perfectly acceptable
4: it's just not part of the the Sandman cinematic universe the the SCU. Well, actually, it was
0: interesting because when we when I watched Sandman, like I said, I'd never read the comics. Strangely enough, being a hardcore DC fan that I am, I'd never read the comics. So when we were watching the show and Joanna Constantine came up, Joanna Constantine actually is a, a, a character in the DC universe that does exist. And I was like, well, it's interesting that he used Joanna instead of John. And then I picked up the comics that were sitting next to me and opened the page, and there was John, and I was like, oh, rights, got it. makes perfect (laughs) sense um yeah but then i immediately read that issue before we watched the the show because i had to read a john constantine issue that i'd never read before so yeah back to constantine talk yay
1: (laughs) (laughs) but they didn't change anything right apart no, no. from apart from the gender the storyline yeah. is exactly the same oh yeah absolutely and that absolutely that is another thing i really loved about it because it just goes to show that you don't have to There's not really a lot you know this is a case with a lot of gaiman's work gender rarely has something to say about it right it's yeah. about the character and the story and their interactions and the fact that they could swap you know john for joanna and yet keep everything else the same in the storyline
4: Well, considering your main characters, the the, you know dream and desire and all of them, gender is really not prominent to them.
0: Yeah, desire, there is is no gender happening there. That is all and none. All of the genders. Yes, all (laughs) All of the genders and none of the genders and Mm -hmm. genders you didn't even know existed. Yeah.
3: The gender fluidity of desire is the point.
1: Well, coming back to the comics, this was another, I, I don't, you know, it'd probably be easier for me to see which episodes I didn't have my fingers in front of my eyes for some parts of it. I don't think there was one. So the 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 bit in the comics that was like oh in terms of kind of writing and visuals was Rachel. And so when the door opens and you see, and the, the kind of the illusion fades and you're going to see her how she really is, I had that moment where I was like, oh no, you know, like how graphic are they going to make it, you know, with the the visuals because she's you know, emaciated and and and. She's scratched, you know, her skin, and the way they describe it in the comics, um, it wasn't as bad. And as I again, I'm going to keep on saying this: like, I'm really glad that overall the horror, visual horror, has kind of been t- kind of tamped down, um, because you still get the enormity of what she's gone through. That she's just been, you know, on this bed for goodness knows how long, trapped in this in this, you know, dream because of the sand that she has access to, um, and. Yeah. And again, it's exactly the same as a comic, the way that, you know, Joanna's like, I, I actually made a note of this, of this quote because Dream just picks up his, his sand and he's about he's like, okay, right. Got, got what we needed. Off we go. And it's not callous, but it's just, he's looking at the bigger picture, right? He's not going to help individual people. But in the way that Joanna says, you know, you want your sand back so you can save all of humanity. Well, here she is. Like, Ah, oh, I loved it. Yeah, You know? And then the way you, you that, that see the realization, isn't
4: just the group, it's also the individual. Yeah. We're a collection of individuals.
2: And it, it uh, and going back to tamping down the horror, I think a lot of that is probably the production saying we're not going to shove the horror down your throat yet. We're going to kind of give you the the muted version here in the first three episodes because well we've got an episode five <laughs> waiting for you later on and that's not tamped down horror in that one at all
1: well i don't say it's tamped down from the comics so the comics yeah. were pretty
2: graphic <laughs> okay no see i don't know the comics for for me that's yeah. horror right there and it, that's and it, full and outright horror it,
5: it is but the comics were worse <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're much more graphic
0: yeah, one thing I've learned from reading comics is uh, when you get into the horror stuff, they don't hold back, and it it is so much worse than anything you have ever seen on screen.
1: Yeah, which is why those panels are still embedded in my brain. Yeah, seven years later,
4: um, I had a question. I don't propose to be an expert on this, but wasn't that kind of the origin of comics? Wasn't horror comics among the first comics?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Horror comics actually got really big in about the late 40s and into the 50s. And it's really kind of where the Comics Code Authority rose from because uh, it it was horror comics and and like true crime, murder type comics that that got.
4: Graphic was. Yeah. Like, here's where we we don't want your mind can't get disgusting enough for what we want to show you. So we're going to have this artist help you.
0: Um, and that's that's what co- caused uh, the, the whole parental backlash caused the Comics Code Authority, which, you know, made all of the superhero comics lame after that until until uh, the comics decided to kick back and say, you know what, the Comics Code Authority sucks and we want to make good comics again. Anyway, enough of that history lesson. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so about this show called The Sandman. Yes. Oh, a right. I have a,
1: I have a question about. Ethel um which might lead us on to a conversation about Ethel that's fine but in this episode um a reference is made to Ethel's boyfriends beating her and I was just thinking how could they have beat her if she had the amulet of protection like I wasn't sure whether that was like a timeline issue but there is a I think it's John who says that or somebody says that to Ethel that her boyfriend
2: Do we know when she gave it to her son though? She might have given it to him at that point.
1: No, she's she's had it since she traded it. But I'm assuming that she traded it and then she and then John remembers her having boyfriends that beat her. But I was just thinking they wouldn't be able to.
5: Mm. Maybe she she traded for
1: the amulet
5: later. After Mm. Okay, I'm going to talk out loud
3: about this. And it, it has to do, I guess, with the psychology of being a survivor of domestic abuse, where she has, let's say she has the amulet of protection while she's with these boyfriends. It depends on what the amulet of protection is supposed to be protecting her for or from. And if she considers the threat and the existence of the abuse to be something that she needs that protection from like if the if she has this amulet and it's supposed to protect her from Burgess and all of these otherworldly threats it could be in her mind that living with these boyfriends is I guess the trade-off where she'd rather or rather is a terrible word to use like in her mind she's bargaining well okay yes I'm with these boyfriends yes they're beating me but that is a form of a protection in and of itself and or that's such a low-level threat in her mind that yes it sucks yes it hurts yes it's damaging both me and my child but there's something bigger out there that I'm actually concerned about
1: yeah so I'm really glad I brought that up because I I like this idea that she did have it, but this is, this is what it is, right? Because she lived with Burgess. She knows what kind of, what he could do and the forces that he could muster against her. And yet when you've been, when you've been exposed to that, you're willing because she wants to have a relationship, right? She, she is maybe looking for somebody who might be a father to her child. She wants to be with somebody. And so there is, yeah, completely that, the way that you justify it in your mind, um,
2: well, we know of the amulet that it's <clears throat> it has a personal connection to its owner, so it's very possible that the owner gets to determine what a threat actually is. And I think that's kind of where Samaria was getting at: is if she doesn't if she doesn't perceive that as a threat that the amulet needs to protect her from, then it won't. I mean, there's you can also a possibility
5: it. that you know when she was involved with those men, it was for. Very specific reasons, like this person can get me to a place I need to be or can um, do this other thing for me that will lead me to getting to a place where I don't need them anymore. And so the amulet doesn't protect her from the boyfriend because there's a bigger risk that the boyfriend is helping her deal
4: with. I was just going to say, do we do we know exactly when she traded the helm for the protection amulet? Because it... I know the the Ruby was protecting her for a long time, but then when she when her son got a hold of the Ruby and did all the stuff that he did, she got the protection the amulet of protection. But we don't see exactly how much time happened between him getting the Ruby. How long did she go unprotected before she traded the helm for the amulet? Do we know? So I
1: think she traded the the helm for the amulet of protection very early on.
4: But all I'm saying is, is is that opinion, or is there something in the show that that said when it happened?
2: It's suggested in the timeline. Okay, cool. I don't think it's outright said, but I, there's I a specific point entirely. where I it didn't shows see a, it.
4: a timeline on that. It's, that's why there's I have a, that there's a, I assume she like that was part of why she traded it is I'm getting beaten. Dang it! I'm trading a helm and
2: getting some protection. There's there's a sequence uh, right after she leaves that's kind of like a time jump sequence where it shows everything she's doing for a short period of time. And that happens long before. So it's suggested. It's just not outright said.
0: Um, I'm just suddenly having a thought. Uh, the only times that we see the amulet being used are when somebody is directly threatening their life. Like, you know, they pull the trigger on a gun and the amulet goes into action and, you know, that gunshot would have killed the person. So the amulet kills the person who pulled the trigger instead. Um, does the amulet scale with with appropriate force according to force? In other words, if the force coming at her is not deadly force, does the amulet then, you know, maybe not in not engage or not engage to that extent, and maybe just you know protect her in that she doesn't get bruised or or hurt from it, but or the the. Protect her in that you know whatever bruise she gets, the attacker also gets until they learn not to do it or something like that. You know, is is there a a is it a sliding scale? Is what I'm wondering.
4: So, if you have the amulet of protection and your back starts hurting you, does it attack your back? <laughs> 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 you your spine gets ripped out of your collar.
0: Yeah.
2: Self harm is a bad thing.
4: Yeah, I was going to say,
0: protection. what if what if you're really into BDSM and you have the amulet of protection? What's what?
2: you have to train your amulet.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the amulet now is your safeguard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there's there's also something in the amulet about intention as well, which for me links to uh, Calliope, which we will all come to much later. Um, but it's the fact that Ethel gives it to John and says, "I'm giving it to you," right? So she's kind of like transferring the power from herself to him. And then John does the same to Rosemary. He gives it to her. So that and I think I like I like to think of it the way Samaris described it, that it's kind of it's attuned to you, but if you don't see the danger as life threatening, then who knows, you know, how how far you could be hurt. Um if you're if you're wanting to be in that you're choosing to be in that situation for other reasons um well that was that was a really great conversation about the amulet <laughs> yeah.
4: I've, I've one last thought am i the only person who wants to see the next chapter of the amulet
1: what rose i, I was actually really terrified for rosemary thinking she doesn't know what she's got and if somebody no, she I loves know. tries that, to do I really something I'd
4: love to see that story. yeah
1: i i wouldn't it'll be horrific it'll be a lot of blood
0: <laughs> yeah does the amulet respond to fear
3: That's a good question and
4: what does it do in the hands of somebody who is not malicious or like does it does it scale in a good, bad kind oh, of way yeah. too?
5: It is from hell,
0: uh yeah, yeah,
4: that's uh, true, <laughs> but does it does it drag her with it? is another uh. aspect to think like, oh man, there's that amulet I want oh, to see that is it a knife
1: is it max knife you know rosemary could get. Quite severely hurt before the amulet might kick in because if she inherently sees the good in everyone, yeah, Mm. and and the amulet is attuned to her, and she's still continuing to see the good in the person that may be hurting her. Okay, Gaiman, Gaiman, if you're listening, we're manifesting a follow up story. We need to know more about the amulet.
4: And how does she respond to the first person it takes out?
3: Can it be rendered useless?
0: what if it does scale with the you know supposed goodness or evilness of the person what if to protect her rather than killing the thing that's going to hurt her it helps the thing that's going to hurt her in a way that makes it not want to hurt her
4: and what is the range on that yeah. she's being threatened by global
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's an incoming meteor. quick somebody get rosemary <laughs>
2: conversely i'm thinking like what happens if she figures out what the amulet does and does that turn her personality into something evil and sadistic it being from because hell, she now under- like now this. understands that she's invincible
5: I'm thinking about a scenario like, you know, what if her marriage breaks up and, and, and she's feeling pain because her husband has broken her heart? Like, what happens in a situation like that where the amulet is responding to her emotions?
4: Anybody else surprised the dog made it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was convinced the dog was going to bite him at some point. And just, well, Pool. I was
1: surprised no Rosemary made it. Oh I was very happy with that
2: change. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. I was so terrified for her. Yeah.
1: I was so tense oh, at that gosh. final scene. I was like, what the hell are you doing? Drive away. <laughs> and I was, again, fingers in front of her eyes. It's coming. And then I didn't. I was like, oh, that's interesting.
5: One of, uh, I was I was kind of holding out until we started talking about the diner episode. But one of the things that they definitely changed in the TV show is they made John D. a uh, much more sympathetic character. Someone who is damaged and troubled
2: rather than... Yeah, I- I was just about to say that as I think they made that choice consciously just so that we would have a little more sympathy for John and and kind of see him as a tragic character as opposed to a villain. Because after after the interaction with Rosemary, that's mm-hmm. where I was at with him until he starts doing everything in the diner.
1: So that's really great then. Right. For people that haven't read the comics, you are actually being drawn in by by John. and You're not thinking it's going that way.
4: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's also something I've talked about a lot of times in writing. Uh, Some of the most interesting villains you'll ever see in in media are people who either think they're doing things for the right reason or have some aspect of them that has been so hurt that you almost want them to get the justice that they're seeking. Those become really, really challenging villains to watch because their story is so convoluted and difficult to really—pure like. hate, you know where to categorize that— it makes you uncomfortable to have to categorize when it's not just so easy to, to sort out. Yeah,
0: I've, I've always said the same thing that, that the best villains think they're the heroes mm-hmm. because they have a they have that strong of, of a moral center or something that they are willing to do whatever it is they're doing in order to be the hero in their own mind. Um, Lex Luthor, for example. You know, but like he he sees Superman as an existential threat to humanity, which in reality, Superman is. And he sees taking down Superman as his duty because he is an existential threat to humanity. And he is the good guy. And that's what makes him so fascinating. If he was just wah-ha-ha, I hate you, Superman, because you're so good. Nobody would care.
2: Well, and it also doesn't help that that character. Where I know him from is Harry Potter, and he's Remus, and Remus is just a lovable character. So,
4: but also still a torn character, a still a a, a difficult. It becomes a villain at one point for lack of his own effort.
0: Um, my first introduction to that actor was in the uh, remake of The Island of Doctor Moreau. So. So for me, he's always been just this, like, <laughs> creepy, he's weird. Been the villain. He was not a villain in that one. He was he was like the narrator almost. But he, he was just creepy and weird in the same way that John Dee is. And I've always just kind of, like, when he showed up as Remus Lupin, I was just like, nope, nope, you're creepy.
1: <laughs> That's David Thewlis. And he is uh, really good at being horribly creepy, but also great at being kind of. Tortured, and you want to protect him. So I think he kind of tapped into both elements for, for John D.
0: What was it that you had said online about him, Samaria? You were watching that episode, and you posted something about David Thewlis.
3: Oh, <laughs> I said he's one of those actors that you kind of look at sideways in real life because he's so good at playing creepy people. So why is he, you know, why is he so good at that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: I have my theory on that one. I've, I've always been a, a believer as an actor. I've looked at the fact that most of the people I know who play horrible, evil, creepy, monstrous characters are the nicest, sweetest people in the world. And one of the reasons my theory for that is the fact that to be that character, well, you have to be able to let yourself go there. And any person that has any question that that might be where they live is not going to be able to go there comfortably. They're not going to be able to come back. And that fear that's something to be afraid of. But when somebody is so sweet, so genuinely nice, that they can go to the depths of evil because they know they're coming back. They so know that that's not them. I am purely acting. I can go there. I can imagine myself there and never have any fear that that is revealing some aspect of my true nature.
1: Are you sure you're not trying to convince yourself there, DW? <laughs> that is
4: that is my long-standing theory on villains.
2: That's how I feel about Louise Fletcher cuz she was just in DS9 I cannot not hate her. Well, uh, like, well
0: I mean when character. you get Nurse Ratched to play Nurse Ratched. Yeah, yeah, of course yeah. you're going to hate her. I mean that that's that's like building hate in from from you know, it's like they might as well just named the character Hitler, you know. <laughs> Ha,
1: ha, ha, ha. Well, I think we could we could just go into the diner sequence because we're kind of heading in that direction. I don't want to. know. I'm okay.
0: i gonna <laughs> go somewhere else for a while. I'll come back when you guys get through the diner. How's that sound?
1: I felt like we were di- we we're kind of going in that direction. We did discuss we yes. did discuss yes. hell and Lucifer yeah. and uh, the beautifulness of Lucifer yeah. previously, and then they go uh, into a
0: diner and there's hell and beautifulness, and and then they continue on.
1: Yeah. Basically, that's that's, what, that's all that happens. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to a few things in hell. Yeah. So we've talked about John and Rosemary and Susie the Rottweiler. Um, we talked about the awesome costuming. Um, I just love that, and I remember I remember reading this the first time. You know, back when I was 16 17 whenever the first volume sixteen, that hell is cold. That's that stuck with me because I thought that was really interesting.
0: But yeah, the 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 coldness. I mean, that is straight from uh, um, the Inferno by Dante. I mean that that is how he describes the lowest level of hell—just a frozen lake.
2: And Lucifer's demeanor too; she's completely cold.
4: Well, and over the course of it, you also don't just get you know a view into Lucifer; you get a view into Dream. The interaction with um, with, what's the character that he runs into, and she's in her cell. Oh,
1: Nada. Oh. oh.
4: Oh yeah. Wow. That, that yes. is so telling of me. I'm so glad
1: that you've brought that up because uh, uh, right until now I've yeah. You know people that make out the dreams like some kind of hero and you know he's so cool and awesome. I'm just like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me? Excuse me, he's uh he's forgiven John D and you know other people. Uh can't say anything
3: spoilers, but 10,000 years and counting? I mean, Nada? if if you can create nightmares, then you can be unforgiving Yeah, they go hand in hand
1: and that's the thing like people forget that dream is the personification of dreams and nightmares that he creates he 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 is that's his function of both
2: sides. i kind of got the impression with nada that he's using her to feel like that he needs the guilt from what he's doing to her to just kind of feel something does incredibly shitty spite But, like, what else does he feel, right? Where does he get his feelings from? If he can create the feelings for everybody else, where does he get them from? And it's almost like he's using Nada to get guilt. But there still has
4: to be some some level that decides it's her that he's going to use for it. And that's where it's not a heroic thing. It's it's yes. it's vindictive. Even if it is being used for the
2: method you 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 He had his chance right there. He could have set her free in that moment, forgiven her, and been done. But he makes a conscious choice to keep her there, like he needs her there for some reason. Oh, uh, see, I just I actually I went with exactly what he
4: said that he hasn't forgiven her yet. And how many how how long can in, immortal beings hold a grudge?
5: And not only that, he hasn't forgiven her. That. But that he has the right to punish
1: her for that, and I believe they say they say when he tells a story to, mm, actually, somebody stop me, Siobhan, before I go into spoilers. Do they? I can't remember. Do they? Does he tell the story of why she's there? Uh, not in the in the TV show. All right. In that case, um, we'll wait till the next but season. But he does. We'll he tells out.
5: Matthew that they were lovers and that, and that he put, and that he she put denied him right.
1: yeah okay
5: so and matthew's like dude
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh damn this is my boss
2: <laughs> it also yeah so it, the the real world reaction to that is like what yeah. the hell man like <laughs> yeah. get over and, it. I,
1: and i think this storyline nada is really important post calliope because we see him with another one of his previous lovers and so We'll hopefully come back to this in season two of Sandman. I'm really glad I checked in with you there, Siobhan, because I was just about to tell the whole story,
3: <laughs> forgetting
1: that it wasn't in the show. Yes, moving on. Mm.
4: That's the thing that I really loved about um, about adding an aspect like this is that it gives more for the character to grow from. Um, if you if you introduce a character and they're purely like heroic and and always the good guy and look, he's saving the world, you need to have not just that he has flaws, but demonstrations of those flaws and reasons for those flaws so that there can be character growth. If you don't have that in a story, then it seems to not have root in the character. And it seems to be very superficial when those, those moments of character growth happen. It's very surface. Whereas this is going to be, if we see a moment where he goes back and he forgives her and he releases her or in any way even apologizes that he did it. Whoa, the growth that would happen from that. You've now seeded something that is a strong storyline.
0: And then he'd probably be like way, way, way less pale and lot a lot less attractive. <laughs> he, he needs that guilt to keep his attractiveness.
2: <laughs> is that where the uh, fountain of youth lies? Guilt? No, do not. So now we
1: found the reason <laughs> do not for the guilt. send your to lover go to, to go hell, to make hell make for 10,000 so years. Guilt <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no.
0: Hey, you don't know my exes, all right?
1: <laughs> but, um, so DW, what you said just, like, I think is a really interesting way of looking at it, because what you've just said makes, makes me then think that somebody should look at desire and actually think, hmm, is desire doing the right thing? Like, why is yes. desire doing, doing what they're doing to dream? Well, yeah, obviously the answer is yes, but still, <laughs> Right. Hmm. Interesting. There, could be some kind of.
4: And that's always the more interesting storyline. Is if you can get people to question what's going on, you get them involved in your story, and and it, that question again needs to come from real feelings, real thoughts, real moments happening. And those stories, Wheel of Time, is another great example of this, where those things have been woven into a backstory, and that that coming out in characters and and. And uh, when you, if you're working on the craft of acting, there's points where you've got somebody in their shiny armor, but what's going to be more interesting are the scratches in the armor, the cracks in the armor, what's shining through the armor. Do you see an old wound, a scar, or something? Those are what make that character interesting, more than the shiny suit of armor.
1: But these flaws then make us, you know, I'm trying to kind of put myself into the mindset of somebody who's just watching the series. These flaws then would make me think, you know, wouldn't make me think Desire's just being annoying, I think desire's also got a purpose because they are also, you know, a very important function. They're one of the endless, right? So the reason that they're messing with dream has a bigger story attached to it.
2: No, I just thought they were a dick. Well, my, my impression of
5: desire was just that they will do anything to get their big brother's attention. And negative attention is still attention. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. Look! Look! Poke! 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 Look what I can do. Yeah. My,
0: my like, impression of your
5: day. My Get impression
0: attention. of desire is they will do anything. Anything. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: um,
0: a couple of things I wanted to bring up about the episode in Hell that I noticed. Um, first of all, the the. Uh, gatekeeper that he meets. It's Waterbloat. Yes, blow. Is that actually from the comic?
1: No, in the comics. May
0: I make a prediction? In the comics, that was actually the demon Etrigan. Is that correct?
1: <laughs> you are correct.
0: Yeah. Okay. I did not get to that that issue in the comics but the whole them talking back and forth in rhyme i was like this has got to be another issue where they couldn't actually get the rights to the demonetrigan so they replaced somebody else yeah
1: oh so i didn't i didn't make that connection is that is that that would be the reason why, then, right? You think there's
0: oh, there's oh, absolutely, et- because the demon. Et- so that's that, in Constantine. The demon Etrigan existed in the DC universe before right. Sandman, so okay, he does not have that. the rights to the Etrigan, just like he didn't have the rights to John Constantine.
1: Gotcha. Okay, I, I for some reason I I knew the Constantine thing, but I didn't yeah. associate it with the. But
0: yeah, as as soon book. as I I heard the rhyming, rhyming mm-hmm. back and forth, I was like, this is this is so demon Etrigan that that yeah, they probably couldn't get the rights. Um.
4: He's another great character, and yeah, it would have been fun oh, to oh. see him. But I like.
0: Yeah, I would have. Too. Oh, that's that's one character I would absolutely love to see in live action that has never made it to live action. But
4: but I, I did love with him specifically. One of the things I thought was really interesting is the arrows in his back. Mm.
0: Yeah, I love that too.
1: But all all the imagery is for hell. Like all the characters, they, they have such a deep backstory. Every single one of them, even just like a side shot, right? Because there's a reason that they're there doing what yeah. they're doing. Like uh, Corazon and my favorite Mazikeen of the Lilim, I thought she was.
3: I mean, did you guys notice what Lucifer's palace is? Like, I I spotted yeah. it immediately. Yeah, yeah, this
0: this this was the other thing that I wanted to bring up. Yeah, it, <laughs> I spotted it immediately too. It was I was like, like oh I shit! Was like,
3: Wait, it's like, is that what I think it is? <laughs> click, 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 click. Oh, they're not even subtle. I mean, yeah. apparently a lot of people didn't notice this, but.
0: Oh, oh! I, I was right there with you. I saw it <laughs> immediately. Did it, okay, let's open it up to the rest of the panel. Did anybody else notice what her palace was? Not me. What? Guys,
3: go
0: go, go ahead, Tamari.
3: <laughs> it's the Vatican.
0: It's the it's the Vatican Palace, and it's looking over St. Peter's Square. It, yep. it that, that, that square out in front of her oh, palace is exactly nice. the wow. same as St. Peter's nice. Square.
3: I, I'm not good at this that. kind of thing, picking up like background images. Mm-hmm. Like it takes me a few tries to be like, oh, see that? But it was it was right there. <laughs> I'm not Catholic either. <laughs>
0: The, well, that's the thing. Is I was raised Catholic. I, I I I will never claim that I ever was Catholic. I was just raised in a Catholic family. <laughs> socialized um, but Catholic. Yeah, there you go. Socialized <laughs> Catholic. So, like you know, St. Peter's Square. That imagery is just kind of seared in my brain. So the second it popped on screen, it's was like, yep, there it is.
2: That is just cool. Yeah, and yeah. it pissed
1: off a lot of people.
0: Oh, yeah. good.
3: I'm, I'm oh. Sure <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I we live too. I mean, I thought it was fine. I mean i say this as you know a not catholic person um (laughs) but one it made sense for the character like lucifer you know lucifer rebelled against heaven wants to be on the same level as god like of course lucifer would like recreate the vatican they're like haha now i am in charge yes this is you know this isn't a, a you know this is authoritarian this is not a democracy um
0: well and and one thing in the Catholic Church that they they say is that uh, Satan or Lucifer or the 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 devil whatever they want to call it is is a twisting of everything that's good. So of course they would want to take St. Peter's Square and twist it into something evil. That 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 goes right okay. in line with everything. Yeah.
1: But I kind of see Lucifer doing it just to piss God off, like
5: that yeah,
0: exactly. kind
1: of thing that he would yeah. do, right? <laughs> yeah. And I can also Penny. imagine yes. that if something else became like s- as important as the Vatican, then Lucifer would just change his palace to look like that and just be like, "Ha!" You know, like.
4: Well, and not just to piss God off. But imagine the, the, the person who, like, thought they were faithful and shows up and like, ha-ha, I it's the Vatican. It. <laughs> it's
3: so my mess.
4: just the heartbreak it could create, like, oh, what a perfect choice.
3: But, yeah, the social commentary is cool, too. And I'm like, it's, I was like, oh, gosh, this is not subtle. Wow. It's a little <laughs> no. bit too on the nose. But I'll allow it because it's funny to me. <laughs>
1: And so I just want to say Lucifer's lilting tone. I just loved the sarcasm and distaste dripping. I don't know if I remember, I said it last time, but I just have have the voice in my in my head. Just love the way that uh, he speaks. It's brilliant. And is that, you know, I um the way that um that that kind of lilting questioning, like, Dream? Yeah. Would you like to Would you like a cup of tea?" Is that okay? Are you all right? Should we sit down? I can't think of actually anything that uh, he says in the series, but it's that, it's that kind of really irritating and you can't quite figure out why it's irritating you tone that you're being spoken down to. And yet, you know, you can't quite say that's what you're doing. Yeah. But just once you go, oh.
2: it, it makes sense though, because that seems like the kind of tone you would develop if you were trying to, hide your true intentions and the fact that you're just the most evil being out there but also draw somebody in so like you're trying real hard to just kind of be calm and be peaceful and be the the inviting person that you need to be to draw people in but you have this evil right behind it so i think that's developed over
0: time there's another thing i see there that uh um Especially in the Catholic tradition, which this clearly seems to be coming from, um, Satan doesn't work with like, ha, ha, I'm going to make you evil. Satan's like, I'm going exactly. to let you make your own choices and let you fall into evil on your own. And so doing that and making everything a question and making you know, it's making you make all of your own choices and it's making you get used to saying yes to simple things so that you become agreeable and will say yes to the other things later on. And it's, it's kind of a a persuasion technique, really.
2: But also leading. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So you're you're quite, you're, you're appearing to give them free will and choice, but you're also leading them down a pathway at the same time.
1: See, I, I don't know if this is me just overlaying other traditions and cultures, but I kind of, um, I object to Lucifer being defined as evil. I don't think Lucifer is evil. I think oh, oh, they um, fulfill a function.
0: Yeah, I and, I personally don't think that Lucifer is evil in 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 mythology. I'm I was talking from the Catholic perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but even
1: also, from the Catholic perspective, is it not seen that Lucifer falls and then performs a function? Which actually, if you look at it in the in terms of like the bigger picture, God needs. Uh no, I'm not going to say
0: that spoilers. Okay. I, it's, Next it's week theology on papers. Theology Talk, we'll be talking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just realized I could have said it without yeah. connecting it to the series, but now that I've said spoilers, I can't. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm, I'm I know, not. I know. In the go ahead,
2: I say the LDS tradition. It's he's outer darkness, and that's if you fall that direction, you're always going to be that direction. So it's it's an evil undertone, no matter what.
1: I've spent too much time with, like, alternative understandings of Lucifer. And so, yeah, back if you're kind of in the core, I guess, he is seen like that. But I, I, so he doesn't say it in the series, but in the comics, it's that line is definitely there, which is that human beings, there's nothing that demons could do that could be nearly as bad as what human beings bring, like, think for themselves. So what they experience in hell is actually what the human being themselves thinks they need to be punished for and they think of far worse than what demons could actually think of doing and i think that for me that's theologically such an interesting perspective but yes as roark said next week on theology one or two we will <laughs> yeah. so in
5: the comic uh morpheus battles the demon and Lucifer is one of the judges whereas in the tv show Dream has to go up against Lucifer themselves.
0: Which I can understand. It's more exciting.
2: Just to raise the stakes seems a little bit. It's more even, too. Yeah. Like, I would I would think Dream against a demon, it's probably not as
1: yeah, Corazon big of
2: a fight. It like, doesn't
1: seem important enough, really, to yeah. go against like, Dream.
2: Con- Constantine can beat you. Why, why yeah. is you fighting against Dream anything? Like...
0: Plus, you don't get Gwendolyn Christie, and then have her stand and off to the side being a judge. Her. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, Not changing into awesome, awesome costuming every thirty yeah. seconds. I mean, yeah, exactly. that would be yeah, that would give her husband no work at all. So, did I mention last episode that her husband was the costume designer? So did all of her costumes.
0: For oh, the really? Yeah. that's that's fascinating.
1: So, we've just spent um, over an hour, and we just did another two episodes. So, this is obviously turning into a much longer series, and um, our mail next mailbag write-in will be happy about that, because they did actually request that we cover Sandman. So, over to you, Ruak. Yeah, uh,
0: we we got uh, a request to cover Sandman, actually, after we'd already made the decision to uh, do these Sandman episodes, but uh, we'll still take the request. Uh, Steve, you definitely manifested that. Um, and Steve also sent us a a letter that we have, we have sadly not gotten to over the last few months as we took our time off and then did a bunch of other episodes. Uh, but I'm going to, going to catch up on some of that mailbag now. So, uh, after that really long and wordy intro, we still need to do our, our jingle. It's time for a mailbag
4: mailbag mailbag. I've not I'll got any that. better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does
1: not. <laughs> the dog agrees.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, no, that's dog for
0: mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> I speak dog. Pips, be quiet. <laughs> yes, my dog's name is Pips, and people who read the books know Yay. what that's about. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, Steve writes in and says, Hey, Watt gang I've been listening to your podcast recently and I figured I just needed to drop you a line. I really enjoy listening to you and I really appreciate the format. Hearing the conjectures and speculations and everything else is a really cool way to relive what I went through when I first read the books. When I read the books, Jordan had only put out the first six books. When I got book seven, it had been so long that when I started to forget who all the characters were and realized that this was going to happen every time I had to wait for a new book. So I read part of book seven, put it down, and decided to wait until the series was done before I finished them life got in the way and i never got around to doing that <laughs> and, how and did
1: you manage to not read oh my goodness i, I i've <laughs>
0: heard this so many times that people read up to the point where the books had been released and then never got back to them because they couldn't remember everything that had happened previously um i don't know how they could do that because i just kept rereading them until the next book came out anyway but yeah yeah <laughs> but
1: apparently they exist because here we are steve yeah. has written in and he's one of them so
0: Uh, He says because of the TV show and equally because of the podcast, uh, he's back into reading the series again. And some of it seems like he just read it yesterday, and there are many details that he's forgotten. Um, Anyway, he wanted to ask if I have ever played the Wheel of Time video game. Uh, He used to play it all the time on PC and thought it was really cool. Um, No, I never did play that, although at the time that that game came out, I... I definitely tried to spec myself into a new computer so I could play it, but I was way too poor at the time to to deal with that. So I never got around to playing that game. Um, came out in like the early two thousands. It was it was uh, a very Doom style kind of first person shootery, but you were in ice sedai using a Turongrial to shoot at things. I don't know it. it didn't make a lot of sense, but it was still Wheel of Time content that I wanted to consume and never was able to. Um, so and, does it have spoilers? That's what I want to know about this. Um, I believe. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure it does. Keep I am sure Shibon it does. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that has been made available for free and somebody is hosting like some servers for it online. Again, so I, I think because of the show, people have picked up that that ridiculous old game and started playing it again. Um, in a previous podcast, you had talked about what fans of the podcast should be called. Because I haven't caught up with your current podcast, I don't know if this has been answered by anybody, answered by multiple people, or officially decided upon. But I thought I'd throw my two cents in. Regardless, I thought about it for a little while and thought, and the thought occurred to me that a wheel can't spin without spokes. If a wheel can't spin a pattern, can't be woven. Spokes are what enable a wheel to spin, and the people who listen to your podcast are what enable you to continue doing what you're doing. I just thought spokes might be a good name for your fan base. As an added bonus, you could always finish off each episode by saying in your best Porky Pig voice, That's all, spokes!
4: (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's (laughs) all, spokes!
0: Keep doing what you're doing, Steve. And uh, oh, Steve,
3: thanks, Steve. Awesome
0: thanks, Steve. letter, and and spokes. I'm 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 kind of liking that. I think I'm down. With I, it. I, I think Hilarious. we'll 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 play with that one for a while, and then then see if it fits. But uh, yeah,
4: I think it would make Ruark a spokes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, that's
4: it. Sold. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the amount of available puns make it worthwhile already. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then we have uh, another mailbag from our friend Brian that that I wanted to get to. Um, I I am going to be honest with you all here. Uh, we got several entries to the mailbag over over the last few months when we took a, a break in things, and we did not get around to reading them because i just kept forgetting to do it but luckily most of the people who wrote in actually showed up on our fan episode so i don't feel bad about not reading their ep- their their mail on air but uh brian didn't make it to that fan episode so i'm gonna read his letter um Brian, uh, who's written in before, he says, I just wanted to let you all know that I continue to enjoy the discussion and banter you all have on your podcast. You all clearly enjoy doing this and it shows. I love hearing your comments and speculations, especially as you uncover new things that I miss, even though I've had multiple rereads. I can't believe I completely missed the Tom Merlin, Morgase, Merlin, Morgana's blah-blah-blah connection all these years, as well as the Land Lancelot one as well. Although, to be honest, I think that one is a little more obtuse than the one I previously mentioned. Also, the amount of times that Ruark has left a breadcrumb trail for you guys that you missed had me screaming in exasperation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess it will just add to the satisfaction when you all finally make the connections. What a great spectator sport for us readers. I expect there will be a few other episodes that continue to dive into the myths and religions behind the wheel of time. And therefore, I expect all of you to spend the off-season reading and researching these things (laughs) so we lazier readers can continue to be properly educated as we go along, especially (laughs) Axel. Oh, I love uh, and, how
1: they're seeing it as a spectator sport for the readers. I love that. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a USB we need to be working on putting out there.
0: <laughs> Maybe we can get carried on ESPN eight the Ocho. That's
2: yes,
4: sports. I think that's a great. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, and then uh, Brian has a, a specific shout out for you here, Samaria. Uh, Brian mm-hmm. says, Samaria, I wanted to give you a shout out for your beautiful theologic discussion about Christianity and Jesus. As a Christian myself, it was lovely to hear someone articulate Jesus's teachings in a way that took out the usual fundamentalist overtones that Christianity has unfortunately become synonymous with these days. It is so nice to know that there are other Christians out there whose theology hews closer to mine.
3: Thank you, Brian. That means a lot because I felt so dumb after that episode. (laughs) I did, you know, like saying things is a lot harder for me than writing them down and I didn't write anything down. So I was really just kind of saying things as they came along and hoping they sounded smart or helpful or just in general, understandable to anybody else. Wait, yeah. wait,
0: wait. Are you trying to tell me that it's possible to th- to think of the words that come out of your mouth before they come out of your mouth?
3: Allegedly.
0: <laughs> I, I, wait, do you all do this? No. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, all right. No. I, I, I thought maybe I was weirdo for a second there, but yeah. Okay. Um,
3: yeah. So it just means a lot that I could be of assistance, I guess.
0: Uh, and Brian goes on to say, lastly, I absolutely cannot wait for all of you to realize how awesome, uh, his favorite character is. Uh, the anticipation is incredibly frustrating for me, but the payoff will be there. Uh, final question suggestion. And I think we can uh, take this as our final question for this episode. Uh, what legend or myth would you like to see show up in the wheel of time? And why is it John wick? <laughs> <laughs> as always, <Badass> keep, <laughs> as always keep up the good work and thank you for being part of this experience, Brian. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank uh, you, thank We you, Brian. all love you.
5: Brian. That's awesome. Yes. Brian.
0: Uh, he also goes on to say, PS, I would be remiss if I didn't thank you all, including Ruark for managing to keep your pronunciation of the, you know, who <laughs> correct my ears. Appreciate it. <laughs> I think what he's referring to there is the Tuathu-on. The tuathu-on. <clears throat> Tuatha-on. There you go, Brian. And with all that being said, I think it's uh, time we can wrap this one up. What do you say, Saima?
1: Let's thank our benefactors, Michael and Jen, over at the Secret Watch Island headquarters. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks.
2: Thanks thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you,
1: Michael and Jen. Thank thank you, you. Michael and Jen. And a shout-out to our sister podcasts, um, which are still running. As you know, Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, have taken a break, um, much-deserved break, after the marathon run of the show, and hopefully they will be back in the new year. But if you are re-watching the show, do check those out. Fantastic newbie podcast, deep-dive podcast, and also a Higgity Higgity Hop Takes that I used to listen to after each episode, which I really (laughs) enjoyed. So do listen out to them. And also watch party of ice and fire who've been covering the new house of the dragon series for all of you that can't get enough dragons in your life do check them out as well we have the links to all our podcasts our content watch wheel of time content and sister podcasts on our website whatwatchparty.com and also the link to our discord come on over and join us
0: and also, don't forget about that fundraiser that we are doing for Koala Sedai's Koala Sanctuary. Uh, the link to that will be on our website and also in the show notes. Uh, give what you can. And again, once a $1,000 gets raised, uh, you're going to see an embarrassing video of me. So make it happen. Make make I, me get uh, me publicly like, embarrassed for your fun.
5: I was in the audience for that and uh, it's it's worth a donation. <laughs> sure, yeah.
1: I like how you don't say how much, Yvonne, but it's worth a donation.
0: <laughs> it, it's worth something. Something <laughs> to someone. <laughs> Uh, And all of that being said, let's lead out with our final question. Again, it's that final question from Brian. What legend or myth would you like to see show up in the wheel of time? And why is it John wick?
2: I want to see more, uh, like Egyptian style afterlife stuff. What, what happens in the, in between before you get, uh, reincarnated into the next weave and it's John wick because, well, John wick's awesome. So it's gotta be John wick.
4: (laughs) I'd like to see John Wick, but set in The NeverEnding Story.
0: <laughs>
4: um, you know, I, I actually, I, I'm a huge fan of The NeverEnding Story and the idea that, you know, dream is the things that fill our head on their own. But I, oh, yeah. this is Wheel of Time, not Sandman. Sorry, I'm going Sandman. I want to see NeverEnding Story in Sandman because seeing a world that's the things that people came up with. Um, but wheel of time, sure. Sure, we'll throw never (laughs) any strong there.
0: I could I could use a big rock monster in wheel of time, why not?
4: They look like big, strong hands, don't
0: he and Loyal would get along great. (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. The conversations would take two weeks. Throw an enter there is the only way you could slow down that conversation. (laughs)
1: I'm just trying to think of something that I can think of that isn't in the wheel of time.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, where I'm trying to I was from. thinking
3: like, oh, Noah's Ark and the flood, but we've technically already seen that with The Breaking. Like yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that beats that. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um uh,
5: So the advantage to the using the John Wick story is that you get to see every single weapon that is available in the wheel of time universe from all cultures (laughs) in (laughs) one (laughs) epic fight
2: plus some that aren't weapons
5: plus yeah you're just random objects picked up off a side table